Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey, girl bosses. So I wanted to talk about being complacent. So many people in our world have been living complacent. Like, they're gone the next day, they don't show up, they want their paychecks, they act like they've done so much, but they themselves have made themselves complacent. I don't know about you, but I've never been comfortable with being complacent. And what that means is you're a rare breed, you're an endangered species, you're the hard worker that all bosses want to hire. That's why we can create our own businesses. And so many companies out there are looking for those who are not complacent in that rare breed. So go out there today and show that you're not complacent, show that you are a winner, a star, a girl boss, and be inspirational to those who are very complacent. Isn't that nice? Hi, guys. I just wanted to start, you know, my friend Billy just sent me that Farah IGTV clip, and here's the thing. My instinct said, don't watch that. Don't, don't. You don't want to watch that. But I watched it, and you know, what inspirational not being complacent. I'm a very complacent person, and I'm not a girl boss, so maybe I just really needed to hear that. Anyway, hi everyone, how are we? I'm terrible. (laughs) I've had a terrible week. I got a stomach bug, but I, or what I think was food poisoning. I ate a tuna poke bowl on Monday. It was good. It's from a place I've been before and had the same exact order before, and then On Monday night around 2 a.m. I woke up from a dream in which in the dream I felt sick and then I was like laying in bed and I was like do I feel sick and I did so I got up I threw up I went back to and I was like I don't know I okay I think like I feel fine like let me I'll just go back to bed so I went back to bed and then I woke up around four and I was like oh I'm like really sick and I spent all of Tuesday throwing up like I probably threw up for like 12 hours straight it was so fucking bad plus you know other things um I'm not a person who likes gross talk so I'm not gonna like describe everything that happened you're welcome but it was just it was unbearable it was so bad um I was so sick luckily I it was quick ish and I should have taken off Wednesday from work to recover more but I didn't because I'm taking off a day in two weeks to go to my little niece has at her school they have a grandparents and special persons day and she invited me to it which is like the cutest thing in the whole world it just makes my heart so happy and that's like in two weeks and it's in Virginia so I have to take off that Friday of work and I just didn't want to take off two days this week and you know the perils of capitalism right So I went to work on Wednesday because I, like, wasn't throwing up anymore. I, like, felt mostly fine, but then I just felt so sick, like, Thursday and Friday because I think I just didn't give myself enough time to recover. 
from throat like my body was just so tired I just felt so sick but last night it's Saturday today and last night I slept for like 14 hours so I feel a lot better today thank god but it's been tough it's been a hard week I like debated not doing a podcast this week since I put out two last week but I'm feeling okay enough to do a podcast so this might not be the longest podcast But, you know, I'm going to do what I can do. It was actually an interesting-ish episode in that there were, like, three things that I actually wanted to talk about at the end of watching this episode because I, like, watched the episode and took notes and then I was like, okay, if it's not, like, a good episode of Team Mom, I'm just going to skip this week. Like, everyone will survive without feathers in my hair. But because it was a good episode, I decided to rally myself get some energy, and I'm going to record this podcast, but yeah, also, it sucks because I fucking love spicy tuna, and I love poke bowls, so what, I'm not going to eat them now? No, of course I'm going to eat them, but I have to give myself some time to recover, but like, I want to eat a spicy tuna poke bowl today, and I can't, and that's not really fair to me. Also, yesterday, we went out for my boss's birthday to a restaurant that I hadn't been to before, so I like pulled up the menu online to see what they had and the first thing that came up was a spicy tuna poke bowl and my stomach like just clenched so anyways yeah I'm back from the dead but just barely uh something happened this week and oh Mackenzie oh my god guys (laughs) Mackenzie Edwards apparently went on Instagram live and I didn't watch it but I did read the Ashley's articles about it And Mackenzie Edwards is fucking unhinged, although she did say her and Ryan are both filming this season, which, like, oh, thank God. Ryan's still in jail. She said that they made the joint decision for him to be in jail so he can just get fully off probation, so I'm assuming what's going... I was under the impression that he was in jail because of an old warrant, but maybe that wasn't incorrect, and maybe he came to an agreement with the probation officer that if he just stayed in jail for, like, two months or whatever the amount of time is that he would get to get off probation, which is absolutely a real thing that happens. Um, There are people that will, like, do what they call their max out time when they're in jail or prison so that they don't have to go on parole. Because, you know, you can, like, be released early, but then you have to go on probation or parole. Um, Probation being actually, at least in Pennsylvania, probation is kind of even harder to be on than parole, Because when you're on probation, if you fuck up, they can give you what's called your back time. And they, so if this is like, I'm getting into the weeds, but let's say you've gotten three years of probation and with two years and six months left, you like really fuck up. They could give you that whole two and a half years and you have to serve that in prison or jail, whatever. But yeah, for two and a half years, you'd be in prison, but they can't do that on parole. So parole is a little different than probation, but people will often choose to go to jail instead of doing probation or parole or stay in jail, not get out early. Maybe not often, but it's definitely, definitely, definitely a thing that happens because probation can be hard for people, Um, especially if you're poor. Probation involves a lot of fees, especially if you don't have transportation and your PO isn't in a place that's like that easily accessible, like where I live. I mean, Uber's really changed the game, right, and made it a lot easier, but, like, if I was on probation and I had to go see my probation officer at the county courthouse, which is where our county's probation officers are located, I don't know how I would 
get there. There's no public transportation anywhere near my house, first of all. Like, I think I'd have to go at least a mile to get, actually, probably more like two or three miles to get any sort of public transportation and then take that in to where the county courthouse is. There might be probation officers that are closer to where I live, but that's where my ex-boyfriend's probation officer is, so I'm just going to assume that it's there. Um... And even where, you know, where we were living at the time or where he was living at the time to get to the courthouse would have been very hard. Uh, like, we don't, there's not really public transportation where I live. There's a, there are buses, like, in some places. But if you don't live on the road that the bus goes, like, good fucking luck. Um, now, of course, I could, like, take an Uber. But if you don't have money for an Uber. So it can be really hard to get to your probation officer um, if you can't stay sober is a big reason because you have to drug test on most forms of probation. So there are a lot of reasons why people wouldn't be, want to be on probation. But Mackenzie said that her and Ryan decided that she would, he would stay in jail so he could just be off probation forever because it's like a revolving door. But for somebody like Ryan, probation wouldn't be a revolving door if he wasn't continuing to use drugs and alcohol. If Ryan got out of jail the last time or rehab wherever he was and stayed sober probation wouldn't be that difficult for him because he has the money to pay fines he has transportation and fuck he doesn't even have a normal nine-to-five job so it's like not that inconvenient for him to go see his PO you know he doesn't have to take time off work but for Ryan it's hard and it's a revolving door because obviously Ryan has an inability to stay sober (laughs) which is very sad and unfortunate Um, Mackenzie is claiming that the bill for the walkout bar tab was paid that day and it was like all a misunderstanding. I don't really know. I'm a little confused as to that whole case. I still think it's very bizarre that he was arrested for that and so long after the fact. None of that really ever made sense to me, so I'm not quite sure what that case was about, but those charges were dropped. Um, Mackenzie also, this was like the really crazy part of it. Mackenzie claims that she is only doing this show because her contract is impossible to get out of and that in her contract, it gives MTV the right to enter her house at any time they want and to have hidden cameras in their home. I just want you all to meditate on that for a moment. Like, no, what the fuck? Of course it doesn't. If they had the right to be in their homes 24-7, they would, like, be bulldozing onto Janelle and David's land. If they're... God, all I want in this world is for them to have hidden cameras in Mackenzie Ryan's house. It's just so crazy. She's so crazy. You guys know I defend Mackenzie a lot because I think that the level of hatred for her is not justified to, like, what she does. And I think that she is young and dumb, as you know. I remember when I used to call her the child bride... But for her to, like, bring this level of delusion is something I cannot defend. But I do hope she brings this level of delusion to Team Emoji this season. Another thing that happened this week is Amber went on Kale's podcast. I did not listen to it, but I read a recap of it, plus talked to some people who listened. And basically she said that she doesn't really see Leah anymore and that she's just focusing on raising James. That's sad and depressing. As I've said a million times, there are so many things that Amber could do to be in Leah's life, but she chooses not to do them. Um, 
Lee, Amber wants Leah to come over every other weekend. And that's the only way that she wants to see her. But there are so many ways that Amber could prove to Leah that she, excuse me, I just hiccuped, that she is a constant figure in her life. And the only way to do that is to show up and put effort in. And Amber's clearly just not interested in doing that. Another thing that happened this week was Janelle went to Orlando with her friend Katarina. Katrina is probably her name. Katarina, like she's in a young adult novel. (laughs) That's where you hear the name Katarina, and I love it, but like it's so a novel name. There are so many names that I love that are like straight from young adult novels. When I was little, my favorite name, this is very off topic. My favorite name was Devony because I read this book series. I think it was a trilogy where this girl, I don't think her name was Devony, would like go back in time, but also still be like in her time. Please come to my Instagram if you read this. And I think the main characters, like the main characters back in time boyfriend had a sister named Devony. Did you guys read this? It was like, it took place in New England. I think there were three books and somehow the girl like traveled back in time but then also could go back to present day but yeah so like I'm a person that loved the name Devony Katarina I mean that's great Georgiana is another great one I love names like that but Janelle's went with her best friend Katrina who somebody pointed out on Reddit was her old landlord because I was like who is that once I said it was her old landlord, I did remember she owned one of the places that Janelle lived with Nate um, around the time when, like, she was becoming friends with Jamie is when she met Katrina. And they went to Orlando and they're filming with Brianna because Janelle apparently has no scenes filmed, which I think we all know because we're watching this season and Janelle is not in anything. I'm really, really curious as to what they're going to do next season because they can't they can't keep another season going like this it just i they either have to fire her or figure out a way to like film her and david or whatever they have to do it just whatever's going on right now isn't working but as i've said i don't see how they can fire her although i will say like this was a good episode even though we didn't have janelle because Kale and Chelsea both had something going on, but it's so fucking rare that Chelsea has something going on, and it's pretty rare that Kale has something super interesting going on. Like, Kale's always definitely second to Janelle, and Kale cannot be the star of this show. Although, look, I am thrilled to see the aftermath of Kale refusing to film when Barbara threatened to kill her. (laughs) Which, by the way, is still so funny. (laughs) Imagine being like... Barbara said she wants to kill me and I'm not going to film anymore. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, let's start with Janelle because she had the shortest segment of all time this week. Where is she in my notes? Okay, so Barbara and Barbara and Ganelle. Barbara and Janelle go to yoga together. Um, They can't, it's like, it's interesting to watch them go hang out, but like, there's nothing to see when they go to yoga. Like, it's not interesting to watch people do yoga. Um, Janelle says she wants peacefulness in her life, which is sad. It does make me think, like, Janelle has never known peace in her entire life. She's, what, 
she turned 27 this year or 28 I think 27 I think she's three years younger than me oh my god I just dropped my foot like right on my ankle that hurts so bad <laughs> oh I wasn't looking at my phone I was playing with the pop socket <laughs> oh god anyway I do think it's pretty sad that Janelle is a person that in her lifetime has never known peace because that's how I was before I got sober and it's a deeply profound place to be and it doesn't mean that you've never known happiness because you can have moments of happiness and Troy McGeady just sent me a text that said I'm caught up on teen mom and Leah's boyfriend makes me laugh every week I agree Troy I'm glad he's caught up so now he can come back on the show but Janelle like I'm sure she's had happiness in her life but I don't think she's ever felt contentment and peace and it's sad and I don't think she will unless she does like a serious mental health overhaul, which I'll be shocked if Janelle ever gets better. I'm not saying Janelle can't get better because I do believe that most people can get better. I'm just not sure if Janelle will ever have the motivation to get better. Not because of MTV. Like, I know a lot of people are like, well, if she gets kicked off MTV, maybe she'll hit rock bottom and she'll want to get better. But I'm not really a believer in rock bottom. I don't think rock bottom is a thing that really exists. I'm sure I've talked about that on this podcast before. I just don't think that Janelle wants to get better. Has I know want and desire are very similar words, but I think... She doesn't have the motivation to get better. She doesn't... And when I say, like, wants and desires, I just didn't finish my thought there. But I don't think Janelle... Janelle might want to get better, but I don't think she has an actual desire to get better. Now, can I explain you exactly what that means? No. Do you need to be in my head to understand exactly what I mean? Possibly. If you get it, I'm glad we're vibing on the same wavelength. If you think... Liz, that makes no sense. Fair enough. Few things I say do. But yeah, I just... Janelle doesn't know peace and that's sad. So after class, Barbara and Janelle have a talk about what's going on with Kaiser. And Janelle says that she has a court date coming up in regards to Doris. Now, I'm really confused about what this whole Doris situation is about. I was under the impression... Actually, I know for a fact... That Nate has filed for full custody. Like, not just sharing custody, whatever. Like, Nate has filed for full custody with obviously unsupervised visits, requesting that Janelle have supervised visits. I think that happened, like, way before this scene was filmed. But in this whole episode, they're talking about Doris filing for something with her being the, what's the word? The interventor? Is that what it's called? I don't remember reading about that. I do know that Doris is the supervised visitation person for Nate. So Nate can't be without Kaiser without Doris. I also believe that Doris is the person that's listed in the custody papers as the person that is supposed to be handling the communication between the two of them. I don't know. I'm very confused. If you have more information on what this whole thing was with Doris, Nate, and Janelle in this episode, please feel free to send me an Instagram DM or leave me a comment, EBP underscore feathers, and let me know what the fuck this was about. Because I'm really confused. I figured in the preview that this would be about Nate's uh, bid for full custody, which I'm 
don't think anything's really happening on. Custody cases take forever. Who knows? He filed, I think, in August. And what is it? It's March now, so it's been a while. But yeah, I just am a little confused as to what this whole thing was, what Doris was trying to accomplish. If I somehow just missed, like, a total huge news story regarding Janelle, which seems unlikely, but is possible. Um, Barbara says that she thinks this court stuff is a waste of money and time, and she doesn't understand why anybody's doing it, which is just more Barbara enabling Janelle. And they talk about how Nate still has supervised visits and will until Janelle feels comfortable leaving Kaiser alone with him, which, like... LOL, Nate's gonna have supervised visits until you can convince a judge or mediator not to. It has nothing to do with, well, I guess if they go to mediation, Janelle would have to agree to it. But it's not because Janelle doesn't feel comfortable with him. And I mean, I think Janelle's right not to feel comfortable with Nate having unsupervised visits because he's an abuser. And the reasons that she gave were pretty reasonable, where she said, I know he won't be in Florida because, I mean, I can see Nate just being like, well, it's my weekend and just taking him to Florida without telling Janelle. Um, She says, like, I know he won't be fighting with his girlfriend. He won't be abusing his girlfriend in front of of Kaiser. All those things are reasonable, but it's just kind of, like, LOL worthy because we know Janelle does all of those things in front of Kaiser. (laughs) She also says that she doesn't think Nate can keep eyes on Kaiser 24-7, and I'm like, I don't think you can either. It's... It's not funny, but it's, like, sad to listen to Janelle talk about Kaiser and Nate because all of her points are usually valid, but they just, it's like, that shit can all be applied to you too, Janelle. So, Nate shows up, the next scene is Nate showing up to court, and this is, like, the last scene. We got two Janelle segments this week. One of Janelle, one of, well, I guess, was it three? Was it yoga? And then I guess we got the scene of them in the car I literally just watched this two hours ago, and I, it, it's like, guys, this is why I have to watch these episodes before, like, right before I record, or I will have no memory of them. <laughs> we got very little Janelle overall, is what I'm saying. So, nature's up to court. His hair looks crazy. He's wearing, did you notice Nate is always dressed in, like, a weird business casual outfit? His style upsets me. I'll just say that. Um, so he calls Doris and he's like, so is court in the same place as last time? And Doris is like, oh, they got a continuance. And I'm like, so he just showed up? She didn't let him know? So, there's some miscommunication going on. And Doris is basically saying that Janelle doesn't want her as the intervener, and Doris is just trying to make sure Kaiser's safe. And Nate is a drunk in this scene. Like, drunk, drunk. I hope y'all notice it. I'm guessing maybe he was nervous about court, so he took a fuel, he took some pools from his flask. But he is slurring, he's agitated, he's, he's drunk. There's no way he's not drunk. I was surprised that Ashley wasn't there with him, and I wonder if that's another reason he was drunk, because Ashley wasn't there with him. Um, I wonder if when he's around Ashley, he keeps it under control, and then when she's not around, he gets drunk, because I have noticed this season that he comes off a lot more red-faced and drunk whenever Ashley isn't around. That's her name, right? Ashley? Yeah, it's her name. (laughs) But Doris is like, you know, I'm just looking out for Kaiser, and Nate's like, I know, I know, and then Nate gets annoyed with Doris, and I could... I was like, why is he fighting with her? I didn't, and this is another reason I think he was drunk and he wasn't able to, like, keep his cool in the cameras that he tries to keep his cool, usually. Um, Nate says that 
everyone like wants to keep Kaiser safe, but that's not what an intervener is for. An intervener is supposed to be the go-between. And she's like, okay, but like you, David and Janelle don't get along. And he's like, excuse me, I get along with everyone. I do everything professionally. And he stumbles over the word professionally. I don't, his speech is like really bad in this episode. Um, also his continued use of the word professionally. I'm not sure why Ashley hasn't told him that that's not the word that he's supposed to be using in this context. If I'm Ashley, I'd be like, babe, I know what you're trying to say, but when you say professionally, it just doesn't sound right. So why don't you say that, like, I try and keep everything amicable, I try and keep everything calm, I try and keep everything respectful. There are about a hundred other words that he could use that are not professional. (laughs) That would make much more sense in this context. And Ashley's really letting her boyfriend down by letting him get on TV and speak the way that he does. So Nate says that she's, like, messing things up because he can't pursue full custody if an intervener is taken out. Guys, I have no fucking clue. I wish I could explain this better. I'm really confused. They did not do a good job of explaining what this court case was about, what this means. Nate, as far as I'm as I know, has already filed full for full custody when they have this conversation. So I don't understand why he's saying he can't pursue for full custody. I'm messing up my words like I'm Nate, but I'm not drunk. I just drank one and a half yerba mates, as I call them, mates, whatever the fuck they're called. Because the first one didn't make me feel like I had energy, so I, and I had two, so I drank a half of the second one, and now I'm, like, wired, but I don't actually have a ton of energy, and I just can't speak any words. So who am I to make fun of Nate, right? Anyway, Doris is like, well, you know, it takes two to tango. (laughs) And Nate hangs up on her. And then he says, for some odd reason, ever since I was younger, my mom always feels the need to belittle me and put me in the same category as the people who are doing wrong. It's never positive affirmations. She just wants it to seem like I'm, she's the only one that's doing anything. And I was like, oh, okay. This was a real glimpse at his being Nate self. And I was very interested in that because you guys know being Nate was the only being special worth watching and that he was completely unhinged in his being Nate special. So, I thought that was really a nice glimpse. I like watching Nate be mean to Doris because I'm a bad person. But Doris literally said nothing wrong. And she's right. It takes two to tango. Nate, you're a fuck up. Anyway, that's all that happened this week with Janelle. So, let's move on. I actually don't really want to talk about Brie. um, Because, like I said, I don't feel very well. Now I've drank in one and a half drinks of strong caffeine and nothing happened that was worth talking about. It was just, it was interesting to watch. Like, that's the thing. I'm not bored watching Brie's segments. I'm bored talking about Brie's segments, which is two different things. And I understand that I have a podcast about this show, so that makes my watching experience a little different because I can't just watch this and, like, enjoy it for what it is. I have to watch it and then talk about it. And, Basically, all that happens is Lewis doesn't give a fuck about Stella and has stopped paying the daycare bill. He's almost $1,000 behind in the daycare bill, which is almost probably a month of daycare because daycare is like, what, $250, $300 a week? I don't know. Daycare is wildly expensive. And 
she has to pay it, which is really shitty. So she's going to get child support taken out. Brittany's back. Thank God she was on her vacation. I miss Brittany. There was a really cute scene. I guess Brittany had put in her soda down and Stella walked over and picked it up and started drinking it. And Brittany was like, what? Is she grown enough to do that now? Because, you know, Stella's still a baby and that's always the cutest kind of phase of a baby turning into a toddler when all of a sudden you realize they're doing like full toddler things. And Brittany's like, is she grown? I leave for a month and she's grown. By the way, weren't Brittany and Brianna supposed to go to Japan? I wonder when that's happening. Remember she got her tickets for Japan last year? Wasn't that supposed to happen? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I need some more info on that. But it was just cute. Stella's a really cute baby. I'm glad she's okay. I can't imagine Lewis being such a shitty person that his daughter had surgery and he just like didn't give a fuck about it. Sent a sad face emoji was his response. What a fucking loser. Um, I did want to say that I, okay, there are two things that I wanted to point out when it comes to Roxanne and Brittany and just the whole DeJesus family. So they get a ton of shit. Roxanne is always called a man hater and someone who pushes men away. But like in this episode, she proved that that's not the case because Brie was like, I don't want to talk to Lewis anymore. I don't care if he's around. I don't care if he's not around. And Roxanne is like, nope, you got to keep trying because look at Devon. Nova went over there yesterday. Everything went great. They have a relationship now, and that's because we tried for six years. And look, they have a relationship, so that's what you have to do with Lewis. And I don't necessarily agree with Roxanne. I think fuck Lewis, and I don't think it should be on Brianna to facilitate this relationship that Lewis isn't even fucking trying with. But it's like everybody says Roxanne hates men. Roxanne pushes the baby daddies away. It's impossible for them to be in the picture because of Brianna and Roxanne, and it's not true. Um, I also wanted to say at the very end, Brittany said, Brianna was like, it's not about the money when she was filing for child support. And Brittany was like, I mean, it's not about the money. We've got enough money for her between you, me, and mom. And that, my friends, is like why I hate when people hate on them living together. Like, they are a family unit who are raising two children. And nobody gives them fucking credit for that. Nobody. I mean, yeah, now they have more teen mom money. They have the Instagram money. Like, they're definitely doing better. And eventually, they're probably going to buy a house soon, I'm sure. And I wonder, they might not always all live together. But, like, the reality is, is, like, the three of them, like, Brittany doesn't need to help raise her sister's children. They're not her children. She didn't make those choices. But she does. And they get shit on for living in that apartment. But it's like, they can afford those kids. And they are raising them together. And that is a good thing, not a bad thing. And, like, poor people live in apartments together, guys. Like, it's just so shitty when I see people being like, why do they live in that shitty apartment? It's so small. It's so gross. It's like, because they can't afford to live anywhere else. So they live in a three-bedroom apartment. And now I'm sure they can afford to move into a bigger place. And they're going to move into a bigger place. But it's just crazy to me the amount of shit they get for living together. And it's, like, because they're trying to raise two children. Hmm. I think they get a lot of unfair hate. And it's because people are racist. Like, that is the bottom line. It's because people are racist. They act like Brianna is disgusting and awful. And she's not. Like, is she a little slow? Yeah. Does she make bad choices? Absolutely. But she's not even on the fucking same level as badness of, like, Janelle or Kale 
people act like her and her family are monsters and it's because they're racist. And I'm not saying like if you don't like Brie or racist, like it's not that. It's the criticism that is put towards them that makes no fucking sense. Like if you think Brie's boring and you don't watch her scenes, like whatever. I can understand that. And if you're not, I also understand not being emotionally invested in them because we watch a show for eight years without them being on it. Like I also get that. But the specific criticisms, like, hurled at them are often very racist in nature. So that's it for Brie. I, okay, I just wish that something more exciting would happen in her life that was easier to talk, like, that gave me more fuel to talk about on the podcast. All right, I'm going to go to Leah right after a quick break. So, Dimeyes was really on one in this episode. I really hate him. I don't know if it's fair. And the reality is, like, maybe he's actually a good guy and they're going to get married and be together forever and, like, he's perfect for Leah and they're going to have a beautiful life together. And, like, just because I think he's creepy doesn't mean in real life he's actually creepy. But, come on. This is outrageous. He's, like, in full parenting mode. It's crazy. So the girls have a dentist appointment. She's taking all three girls to the dentist, which I guess like fair enough. You want to get it all one and done. And Allie has to get a tooth pulled. So she invited Jeremy, Corey, and Jason to go to the dentist with her. Now, I guess I understand her asking Corey to come because like Allie has to get her tooth pulled. And I think the reason that she asked Corey to come is because the girls, like, it was Corey's week with the girls. So he was, like, taking them home. And Allie to get a tooth pulled. It's, like, nice to have an extra adult there. Like, that, I understand. Jeremy is home but didn't come to the dentist appointment and she seems mad about that. And I'm unsure why he would go to the dentist appointment. Like, both my parents never went to doctor's appointments with me. It was either one or the other. Um... Maybe when I was, like, a little baby. So I was a little unsure why. I guess, like, it would have been nice for Jeremy to go because he's, like, he doesn't go to any of Addie's stuff. But her making it seem like Jeremy was some sort of loser for not going to Addie's dentist appointment was, like, eye-roll-worthy eye roll to me. Um, the, I... I just, like, didn't get it. I get why she would want an extra adult because, like, if she has to go in with Addie, why, I mean, Allie, why her tooth is pulled, like, she would want an adult to sit with them in the waiting room. But, I mean, it's bizarre that she invited all three of those adults to come with her. So, she's like, it's, she tells, tells her friend, she's like, it's not like Jason's only been around a couple months. We took our time. Like, how fucking warped do you have to be in the head to think that, like, having your boyfriend in full parenting roles is him waiting at six months in. Like, this is when he should first be meeting the girls. And she has him coming to doctor's appointments with them. It's just so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And she goes, why do I have two baby dads to her friend? She was like, why did I do that? It's like, because you're irresponsible as fuck. I'm not saying have two baby dads is irresponsible. That's not what I mean. I mean, Leah has two because she's irresponsible. <laughs> Leah has two, had two before she was 21. <laughs> if 
because she's an irresponsible person who, like, put no thought into having two baby dads. And also, it's like, Jeremy showed who he was, like, from the moment they got together. And it's a little, like, yeah, no wonder he's shitty. Like, you shouldn't have had a kid with him. I feel very low tolerance for Leah in this episode. Although, I will say I liked that sweater she was wearing at the very end of the episode. And her eyebrows look good right now. I'm feeling the color that she's doing them. They're like an ashier brown and they look nice. So they meet up with Jason so he can come to the dentist appointment with them. And Corey shows up. And so Jason offers to stay in the car, which, you know, I thought was a nice gesture. And she's like, no, no, you can definitely come in. So... Corey and Jason met. Everything was fine. Jason said it's, like, a little awkward, not because it's awkward to meet Corey, but it's awkward because, like, Corey's the dad and he's not the dad, which I think is fair and reasonable. I don't think Jason was necessarily doing anything wrong in this episode besides the fact that he and Leah are moving, like, way too fucking quickly. I also think it's interesting that, obviously, like, his kid isn't allowed to be on this show. Leah's not really allowed to post him on social media according to her, and that they are, they just, like, don't talk about that he is a kid. I always think that's interesting when they're, like, other children involved, kind of like Christina and Gary and her other daughter, the one that's not on the show. So I do think that that's interesting. But um, Jason says something about, like, we're not married, but you want me to be a part of their lives. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you're not married because you've been with this girl for six months. Also, I'm still waiting to see their breakup. <laughs> Will it be next week? I'm wondering if the show's just never gonna, like, play it. But it seemed like they broke up from, like, October till right around the holidays. Like, they were broken up for at least a month and a half. So they have to show it on the show, right? I'll be really pissed if they don't show it. Really pissed. Um, We get a scene at Corey's, which I don't know if we've had a scene at Corey. Yeah, we have. I was gonna say I don't know if we've had one all season um I love the fact that Miranda's still not on the show Miranda's like I have no interest in being that fucking show Miranda got pulled through the ringer by fans for literally no reason she never did anything wrong at least not on camera like she's obviously not a perfect person but there was never any reason for the hate that she got online like she used to get so much hate so I completely understand and respect why she is not on this show and why they're little Remington. <laughs> What's that baby's name? Is that baby's middle name Monroe or is that somebody else named Remington Monroe? But why little Remy isn't on the show. Um, but Papa Jeff comes over. We haven't seen Papa in a while. He is a handsome man. And they talk about Jason and Papa asks Corey if they've been together for a while and Corey goes, yeah, like six months maybe. And Jeff goes, that long? <laughs> it's like, that's not a long time. <laughs> uh, Corey admits that like, it's awkward for them to meet. And he goes, well, you know, I'm awkward. <laughs> Which is so true. Corey is a really awkward person. But I guess they both hunt, so they have stuff in common. And Jeremy is like, look, as long as it's a healthy relationship and they're good people... And he, like, they don't fight in front of the girls. Like, I don't give a shit. He's like, we're grown. Like, when we were younger, I had a lot of issues with it. But, like, I just don't care anymore. And I think that's great. I think it's really a telltale sign of where Jeremy and Le Jeremy, where Corey and Leah are in their relationship 
there's nothing negative to say about how Corey and Leah are co-parenting. And that's, that's great. Like, I'm really, I'm happy for her in that situation. Um, I think once Leah kind of gave up control of the girls and, like, allowed Corey to take the lead, their lives got a lot better. And not just the girls, but, like, Corey's, Leah's, Miranda's, like, everybody's life got a lot better. And I think Leah really accepted that. And I think it's been really beneficial for their family. And I think that Leah's done a good job proving to Corey that she is a lot more stable now. Now, you guys know I still think Leah has some struggles. But I do think that overall she's in a better place. Like, I think anybody with eyes can see that. Like, she's clearly not where she was before she went to treatment in that, like, full season after she went to treatment. Like, she... Even, like, the fact that she cares to, like, put on makeup and get dressed for the cameras, like, proves that she's in a better place. Um... Even though I know looks aren't everything, but if you guys will remember, like, how bad she looked and how she, like, didn't give a fuck about how she looked, just showed that, like, her care level was quite low at the time. I appreciate that Corey respects where Leah is and doesn't care to, like, make some big thing and, you know, may have his own opinions on how fast they're moving or what type of guy he's like. But he has no interest in bad-mouthing him or creating drama or being difficult. And as long as Jason seems normal, they don't fight in front of the girls, and the girls get along with him, like, then he doesn't care. And I think that's a great place to be. And I think Leah is lucky that Corey has decided to take that mature approach because Corey can make Leah's life a lot harder, and he doesn't. You know, Corey has power in this situation when it comes to the girls, and has for quite a few years, and I think Leah's really lucky that Corey has trust for her again, and that they are able to co-parent so well. Um, the final scene involved Leah and Jason sitting in Jason's dining room eating dinner. Now, why was Jason wearing a camo shirt with a blazer, but a blazer that, okay, this is like specific. This is a specific reference, but if you've ever been to dinner (laughs) at certain, like, country clubs or, like, private clubs, a lot of times they'll have rules that you have to have a jacket and a tie, and they will keep spare jackets and spare ties, like, in their coat check area for people that don't have them so they can come into the dining room, like, uh, my family belonged to this club. I guess my grandma still belongs there. When I was younger, and I know they, upstairs, you had to have a jacket and a tie on. And they definitely had spare jackets and ties that you could put on. Um, I don't know if this is, like, I know restaurants used to do that and they would have spare ties. I don't know if, like, regular restaurants, I don't think that's a thing anymore. Like, people don't get dressed for dinner anymore. You know, I worked at Morton's Steakhouse and people would always call and be like, can we wear jeans? And I'm like, you can wear literally anything you want here, even though this is like a hundred dollar head dinner, like people come wearing whatever the fuck they want. Um, so like getting dressed for dinner isn't necessarily a thing anymore, which like as a sweatpant loving girl, I'm not criticizing, but Jason's jacket was like, if he went to the cricket club and forgot his jacket. And so they put on an ill-fitting jacket from the 1980s. Like, why was he wearing that in his home? (laughs) I didn't... I didn't understand. With the camo colored shirt underneath. (laughs) What the fuck was that? 
what the fuck was that? And he and Leah were, like, awkwardly just, like, holding hands across the table. And it just looked so weird. Jason is constantly performing for the cameras. And that's the thing that's the most disingenuous about him. And it's not that he's, like, uncomfortable around the cameras. It's that he is telling the cameras and Leah what he thinks the cameras and Leah want to hear. And that comes across so clearly. Um... Troy texted me and said he's so disingenuous and he never really cares what she what she's saying, but he really tries hard to come across as nurturing. And I think that's true that he really doesn't care what she's saying because she, especially when it comes to Jeremy, because she's like, well, I don't really care. Like, you know, I care, but I've stopped fighting him on it and I'm not going to force him to do anything. He's like, well, how are you going to hold him accountable? And it's like, she, what? She's, she can't hold him accountable. He's a grown man. Like, there's nothing she can do. What does that even mean? And so he's not actually listening to what she's saying and, like, taking it in and feeling empathy and then responding to it. He's, like, saying what he thinks a supportive boyfriend says. It's just really, it's, it's really weird. I also think that Jason, and this is why I think this is the Dirty John aspect of it. I think Jason plants these seeds with Leah, like, suggesting that he does things, but then leaves it up for her to make her feel like she's the one in charge. So when she, she told us on the phone with her friend that, like, she invited him, but she wasn't sure if he could come. And then he calls her and she's like, oh, well, I don't know if this was filmed out of order or what, but he was, she was like, oh, well, the girls have a dentist appointment. And he's like, oh, do you want me to come? Even though we, like, already knew that he invited her to come. Now, to be fair, that was probably filmed out of order, and that's why it didn't really make sense. But let's say that it was filmed in this order. And it's like, well, you know that she wants you to come. So he's like, well, I, I could come if you want me to. And it's like, <laughs> she already invited you. Yeah, but just the way that he does it, it's like suggesting her she do these things, but then she feels like she's in charge. So that's probably why she doesn't feel like the relationship's moving fast. I don't know if that makes sense. I drank too much Yerba. <laughs> And I was already feeling, like, tired and weird, so now I feel, like, really wired but tired and weird. <laughs> oh, God, guys. That girl ain't right, and I'm talking about myself. Leah says she's done begging Jeremy, and fair enough. I think that Leah and Macy are very similar in this regard, where they're just, like, they're over begging their baby dad to do what they want them to do, and I think that that's the right position into being because you can't force a grown person to do anything. Okay, let's talk about Chelsea, who for the first time in six years had something interesting happen. <laughs> so we found out that this is the week we found out that Paisley had been, Adam gave up his rights to Paisley and she was adopted by her stepfather. Um, What's her face? Chelsea tells a producer this and Chelsea is a little, you can tell she's a little surprised and taken off guard by it. I am surprised that, maybe I'm not surprised, I don't know how I feel, that she didn't know that the process was happening. I'm surprised Taylor didn't tell her, like, hey, like, we're going to terminate Adam's rights because it's not like this happened overnight. I wonder if she did know this. I mean, they just saw each other six months prior, so you would think that they had already been seriously thinking about pursuing it. So I'm curious as to how much Chelsea knew about this beforehand. And the producer, Mandy, is like, 
are you going to tell Aubrey? And it's like, yeah, dum-dum. Chelsea goes, I think we should. What? <laughs> like, what? Of course they're going to tell Aubrey. <laughs> oh. Mandy asks if this was, like, something they would do. And Chelsea's like, you know, yeah, I think we want to. But it's different with Aubrey. And Cole's like, well, I would adopt her in a second. And it's like, we know, Cole. We know. But Chelsea brings up the really good points that Aubrey is older. Because you guys have to remember Paisley, I think, is five. And Aubrey is nine, which is a huge age difference. Huge, huge age difference. And that Aubrey is closer with Adam's parents than Paisley is. Now, you guys have to remember that. Uh, Aubrey's been going to the Lynn's every other weekend for her entire life up until the last few months where she now is just going once a month. Aubrey definitely has an identity of being part of the Lynn family. Paisley absolutely did not. She had not seen the Lynn's in a while because uh, Taylor said that they weren't sticking to like the visitation rules when it came to Adam. So she cut off their visitation, which rightfully so. Also, she's too little to have an understanding of like, I'm part of the Lind extended family. You know, a four or five year old doesn't have an understanding of that. She probably knows that they're her grandparents and maybe she loves them and likes to see them. But like, you don't have a sense of like, this is my family. These are my cousins until you're older. And Aubrey is, she's in third or fourth grade, right? So she definitely has more of an ability to like, understand like, I'm a Lind. These are my grandparents. And they've also had a much more parental-like role with her because she was with them every other weekend for her entire life. That's something I also want to talk about. So when it comes to something happening to Chelsea if she dies, which Chelsea goes to see Mary and they discuss about what happened and what it means for Aubrey. And Mary brings up the fact like, well, if something happens, like Adam is going to get her. And Chelsea's like, well, that's why we're making a will. And Mary's like, it doesn't fucking matter. Now, I don't think Mary's completely accurate. I think it's a very, I think there's a very, 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 very little chance that Adam would be able to get custody if Chelsea died tomorrow. Uh, The reality is, is that he is not an active part of her life. He's an active drug user. He has a long arrest record. He has a known drug problem. I don't think he has domestic violence charges. I don't think that he would just like get her automatically. Um, I do think like social services would step in and it would be a process. What I think the big issue is, is that the Lynn's would have an even better case to get Aubrey than the, I was going to say the DeBoers, but not the DeBoers, the Huskas. So, Everybody online is like, well, he she wouldn't even go to Adam. She would go right to Chelsea's parents and then they could let Cole keep her. I think people are really underestimating uh, the Lynn's ability to prove that they would be the best fit for Aubrey. Because as I said, Aubrey's been with them every other weekend for her whole life and they already have a parental-like role in her life and have essentially co-parented with Chelsea for the last eight years. Um, They have formal visitation set up. They can show the court, like she has a bedroom at her home. She doesn't have that with Chelsea's parents, which is completely fine and normal because she has a normal grandparent-grandchild relationship with them. You know what I mean? Like she's never lived with Randy. Well, I guess like when she was a baby baby, but even Chelsea had moved out by the time she 
Aubrey was like six months old, right? By the time Teen Mom season one started, Chelsea moved out. So it's not that Chelsea or like Aubrey isn't close to either Mary or Randy or one of Chelsea's sisters, but she has like a well-established guardian-like role already with the Lynns. And I think that their lawyers would have a very good case in family court for getting Chelsea because, or for getting Aubrey, because they have just as much of a right to Aubrey as Chelsea's parents would. Now, usually in these cases, it would default to the bio parent, but I think because the bio parent has known drug issues, doesn't have any legal rights to the child right now, or like any visitation rights to the child, they they already have court ordered supervised vision in the visitation center. I don't think it would just like default to them. And I think that the court would place her in where they feel is the best interest for her. But I really think that that would be, the Lynn's would have a good case for it. And if I'm Chelsea, I don't want the fucking Lynn's to get my kid. Now, I have long said that I think it's unfair that the Lynn's get such a bad rap on this show because we do not know the Lynn's. Um, we... I mean, by their choice, but we don't know anything about them. They could be perfectly wonderful, good parents. But I think naturally, if you ha- if you are a mother and you have healthy, normal, good parents, you would want your child to go to them over the people that, like, you barely have a relationship with. She doesn't, she barely has a relationship with the Lynn's, you know, and it's definitely not been positive all of these years. I don't think it's contentious, but it's not like a positive relationship. And she doesn't trust them. And she doesn't trust, well, I guess Aubrey goes there once a month, so she must kind of trust them. But she doesn't fully trust that they keep Aubrey away from Adam. I think it's a little easier now to trust them because Aubrey would tell her if they let her see Adam outside of the visitation center. But I think she absolutely trusts Randy or Mary or one of her sisters, because remember, Chelsea has three older sisters. I think one lives in Florida and one might live in Germany, but I believe there's definitely one that lives near her. Uh, she's the one that's closest in age to her. And she has kids that are around Aubrey's age. Those are who were at the the cabin with them this week. But that's who what I would be more, most worried about if I was Chelsea. And here's why, like, okay, having a will is extremely important. And your will designating who gets your kids is extremely important. But it's not... You can't will your children to someone. You can make your wishes known, and the court will absolutely consider that, especially if it's a case where both parents die. Usually in wills, it's like, um, basically, at least in Pennsylvania, the will say, like, it is my wish that this is the cus Like, the way you set it up is that you write, like, who you want to be the guardian of your children, where you want them to live what funds they'll have to raise the children, like if they, you know, if they're like custodians of the trust or whatever you set up. So Chelsea can do that. But the reality is, is that you can't, like, it's not legally binding. And the best interest of the child will always overrun the will. So if you and your husband or your spouse set up something for your child and you put in your will who you want the guardian to be, and that person is a reasonable, well-established adult in their life, the child has a relationship with them, there's no reason for them not to be, the kid will usually go to that person. But the family, your family members can always petition the court and contest that. And if they're bio-related and the person you leave them to isn't bio-related, that can cause a little bit of issue. I don't think it's that common, 
like for a child to have both their parents die and then there to be like a contentious custody battle uh, between family members. But it's definitely something that happens. But Chelsea's in a unique position because if her, if she dies, there's still a bio parent alive. So Chelsea can say like, I want Cole to have the kid, but the family court would overrule that if somebody contested it. Now, it's very possible that Chelsea, it could happen that Chelsea could put in her will, I want my husband to be the guardian of my child if I die. She dies and nobody contests it in the court and social services just lets Aubrey live with Cole. Like that is absolutely something that could happen, especially because Aubrey has now lived with Cole for five years or however long, four years probably. Um, she has two siblings that live with him. There is a lot of Huska family support for her living with her. Um, they would all agree that that's the best place for it to be. And if the Lynns don't object to it, especially if Cole says we're going to keep up the visitation, they could, everything could be okay. But you just don't know, which is why I've been saying, like, I do think it's important for Aubrey to get adopted by Cole and for Adam to terminate his rights. I think Chelsea is going about this the wrong way when talking to Aubrey. Uh, she's definitely like, she tells us that she and Aubrey talked about it off camera and then she brings it up on camera and Aubrey's like, no, I don't want to talk about it. Um, which like everyone is like, well, it's nice that she respected her wishes, but then she talks about it on camera with Randy, you know? So it's like, it's nice that Aubrey doesn't have to talk about it, but her business is still going out there on camera. And thus lies like the problem with this show and why this show is so unethical. <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. We all watch it. I make a podcast about it. But I find that Chelsea's, I think what Mary said was so fucking spot on when she was like, you have to do this for the protection of your child. And then she'll be like, you'll make her okay with it. You'll reassure her. You'll love her. Like, I think that that is correct. I don't think it will be easy. And I completely understand where Chelsea and then Randy is coming from in which like they don't want Aubrey to resent Chelsea for basically taking her dad away from them, from her. And I think that is a hundred percent a reasonable issue. One my big suggestion is that they should go see a family therapist and talk to the family therapist about it. Because I'm not a therapist. I don't fucking know what the best idea is for them. And I think that seeing a family therapist would be very helpful. I think Aubrey just experienced a tremendous loss at Paisley being adopted. And I really, I think that this is getting overlooked, that there was, Aubrey suffered a loss. And yes, Paisley's absolutely still her sister. But I don't think Aubrey gets that. Chelsea even said like, well, is my dad still my dad? Or Chelsea said, Aubrey asked her, is my dad still my dad? When Aub when Chelsea brought it up. I don't think Chelsea has the emotional maturity to explain it in a way that Aubrey understands and to reassure her enough that everything is okay. Um, I don't think that they talk about it enough, at least from what we see on the show. And I think that, and I don't, necessarily blame Chelsea for that. I think it's an extremely complex issue. But I do think that Aubrey is experiencing a loss and she's going to grieve the loss of having Paisley be her sister, essentially. I think that for you and I can understand, like, of course, they're still sisters. They are biological. It's not like Paisley was, it's not like a Nova Carly situation where Carly has parents and lives in another state and like 
they see each other once a year on a visit and she was adopted and we're just the bio parents and those have always been her parents. It's not that situation. So of course they're still sisters. I can understand that, but I don't think a nine-year-old really gets that. And I think family therapy or a child psychologist could really help them explain that in a healthy way and help Aubrey deal with it because I don't think Chelsea has the tools to deal with it. And I don't think that's wrong of Chelsea to not have the tools to deal with it. Chelsea's not a very intelligent person and I think even if she was very intelligent it's like how you don't just you're not just born knowing how to do that you know this is not a situation that Chelsea ever had to deal with why would she just know how to deal with this and I think that they should talk to a therapist about what their options should be going forward I think the issue with totally leaving this up to Aubrey is that Aubrey is not mature enough to make this decision on her own and I don't think they did a good job of explaining it to her she's like well, you know, he just, like, wouldn't be your dad anymore, but, like, he'd still be your dad. And I think Aubrey thinks that he would be taken away from her. And that would not be the case. And I think a therapist could really help them explain to Aubrey what it would actually mean for Cole to adopt her and why they need Cole to adopt her and how it's for her protection and how Adam would still always be her dad. Um, I think that they just... I think Mary is right that it's like they just need to reassure Aubrey. Aubrey is a extremely loved child. Aubrey is so lucky and has something that a lot of these kids on this show do not, in which she has so many people that love her. She has her parents, and by that I mean Chelsea and Cole. She has siblings that will love her. She has so many aunts, uncles, cousins. She has Randy, Rita, Mary, Cole's parents, the Lynns, and all of the family on the Lynn's side. She has so many people that love her. And I really do think that they could do this in a way that would affirm Aubrey's place in this world and give her a lot of confidence and love. But I don't think the way to do it is just like having a conversation with her and being like, well, is this something you would be interested in? So what she did is like she dropped the conversation of Paisley, which is a huge conversation that is being so under what's the word I'm looking for it's just being so like they're just treating it like it's this little thing that happened when like I said it's a literal loss that Aubrey's experiencing and then in the same conversations like do you want that too and it's like what the fuck like, give the girl a fucking second. She's nine. Yes, she might be a mature nine-year-old, but how mature can any nine-year-old be? What they should have done is talked about Paisley only. Let her sit on Paisley only for a month, two months, whatever. Talked about it often. Reaffirmed. Went and set up a play date immediately with Paisley so that she could go see Paisley and love Paisley and understand that Paisley's still my sister and I still have access to Paisley that I can see Paisley whenever I want within reason because she's a child and they're both children. But Paisley's still very much a part of my family and no matter what, will always be my sister because nine-year-olds don't understand metaphysical concepts. They don't understand concepts of she's your sister, but like not technically, but like she's still your sister. Like nine-year-olds don't understand technicalities. You know, they're just starting to at in third grade is when actually children start to grasp like a lot more um, like meta like concepts and they have a lot more rationalization and logic is when they like really start to get that. That is like a milestone in child development, but it's still like so early in her life. And to just like drop, like if I was Chelsea, I would have told her and then the next day we would have had a play date with Paisley. 
the next day. And I would have like set up every other week on a Saturday, we're going to see Paisley for the next, for the foreseeable future. So that Aubrey does not have the loss of a sister because she doesn't understand what it means. Adoption. She probably doesn't even know what adoption is. You know, she probably doesn't even know what adoption is. And then this gets laid on her lap. But what Chelsea does is in the same fucking conversation is like, how about Cole adopts you too, honey? Like, (laughs) let the girl breathe for a second. And I, just, I find it very disappointing how they're going about this. And for Chelsea, I think it's pretty obvious that the reason that she wants Cole to adopt her is so that they can put on Instagram that Chelsea want, or that Aubrey wants Cole to adopt her. I think in her heart, the only thing that Chelsea really wants in life is for Aubrey to come to her and say, I want Cole to adopt me. Because then that would mean that her job is done. They're one perfect happy family. And that probably isn't going to happen for a while because Aubrey is still a little kid. Um, Chelsea seems very focused on how Cole feels about this and how hard it is on Cole. And at one point when she's talking to her dad goes, and it's really hard on Cole. And he makes this face and you guys know I don't like Randy really, but he makes a, what the fuck are you talking about face? (laughs) Like who fucking cares how Cole feels? (laughs) Which I thought was great. Although I didn't agree with Randy's conclusion of like, just keep on keeping on. (laughs) Because I do think that Aubrey's long-term safety, God forbid something happens to Chelsea, has to be paramount in their eyes. And I do think that they are the parents and they need to protect Aubrey and that she is not old enough to fully make this decision. And that if they do it in the right way, the chance of resentment gets a lot lower. I mean, yeah, if they do it, if they just all of a sudden decide, like, we're going to have Cole adopt Aubrey and we're going to try and terminate Adam's rights, like, that is going to be hard. And she probably, or she could resent them, but there's absolutely a way to do it. They're not doing it the right way, at least in my opinion. (laughs) This podcast should be called At Least In My Opinion, because it's me literally stating, not untrue facts, but my opinions as if they are fact. And I understand that. As I've said before, of course I know I'm a know-it-all. But how could I have a mic? How could I have a podcast? How could I have a microphone? How could I have a podcast if I wasn't a know-it-all? But yeah, I just I I'm totally team Mary here. I think that they are going about this the wrong way. I think that Aubrey would really benefit from a family therapist. I feel heartbroken for Aubrey that she had that conversation, one conversation with Chelsea. And in that conversation, she loses her sister and loses her father or has like the potential to lose her father. And I think that Chelsea really needs to do a better job of like honoring the loss of Adam in Aubrey's life. And I think that she does not do that. And I think that there's probably a big insecurity in Aubrey that comes from losing her father because Aubrey has lost her father. And that's heartbreaking. But I think because Aubrey acts pretty normal, Chelsea's like, oh, it's fine. She doesn't even talk about him. But it's like, she obviously feels distressed about this because when uh, when Chelsea brought up Cole adopting her, she was distressed about it. She did not want to talk about it on camera and seemed upset that it was brought up on camera. So, and I mean, Cole said, by the way, I was really fucking annoyed when Cole said so loudly within earshot of Aubrey, if she wanted me to, I would adopt her right away. It's like, can you keep your fucking voice down? This is not, I don't know. And I'm saying that, but like, I am team Cole adopting Aubrey. (laughs) Oh God. It's just, it's really, it's a shame. It really is a shame that, 
Adam has done this to his children. It's very sad that Adam has done this to his children. And I think it's very sad that the loss of Paisley is going to get shuffled away. Like, it's not a big deal. And now all of a sudden their focus is going to go right on to Cole, adoption, Adam parental rights terminated, etc., etc. I think that there's a right way and a wrong way and they're not really handling this the right way. And that makes me very sad for Aubrey. And I think the lucky thing is and the good thing is is that, as I said, Aubrey is an extremely loved child and hopefully that love will be able to override, like, kind of the shittiness of the situation that has been caused by Adam. Like, this is all Adam's fault and the immaturity of Chelsea. And I think that these situations is really where we're seeing the immaturity of Chelsea and the fact that she doesn't have Aubrey in any sort of counseling to deal with this is, I don't want to say it's immature. I think it's, like, I just think it's a missed opportunity considering they have the resources to do it. You know, just even go see a therapist for one session and see if the therapist thinks that Aubrey would benefit from it. You know, it's not like, I don't know, guys. I just, I pray for little Aubrey. I hope the best for Aubrey. And in the end, I do think that it's important that Adam's rights be terminated. Um, I don't know. I think that it's very scary, the idea that Honestly, it's very scary to me the idea that Adam could get sober and make a bid for visitation again or for custody again because I think Adam's a fucking sociopath. I don't think it has anything to do with drugs. I think he's an abuser and a very scary person. And I think that they should spring right now while they have the opportunity because Chelsea told me, Chelsea told me, do you like how I just said that? Oh my God. What a Freudian slip. Uh, Chelsea told us that somebody told her that Adam is back on drugs. And I'm like, when did Adam get off drugs? (laughs) When was that? Did we miss Adam getting off? I missed Adam getting off drugs. Did you guys know Adam was off drugs to get back on them? I didn't. But I think that they should uh, strike while the iron's hot and take control of the situation. And then if Adam does get his shit together and does get sober, there's absolutely no reason that Aubrey can't have a healthy and happy relationship with him without him having any sort of legal rights to her. So yeah, that's it. I will be interested to see how the storyline plays out. Although I guess it's like not really going to be a storyline because if they don't pursue it, they don't pursue it. What's there to talk about? But I'm sure they'll talk about it for the rest of the season anyway. Okay, let's talk about Kale and child support. Now, I think that a lot of people are getting blinded by their hatred of Kale and their like of Joe and picking Kale's side. And that's just because I think I'm always right. So if you disagree with Kale and I agree with Kale, then you're wrong. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I do feel like a lot of people are liking watching this because they hate Kale so much and Kale's so petty. So they're liking, they're liking Joe. Why can't I speak? I'm Nathan in this episode. They like watching Joe be petty back to Kale and they feel like Kale's getting a taste of her own medicine. And I think that's totally valid. Fair enough. I get it. I understand it. But I don't agree. I don't, I've never like, I, Kale has just never been one that I've hated. Like I've never felt like that intense hatred for Kale the way that I have for say Janelle um, or like Nathan or somebody like that. So I don't, 
I'm not enjoying watching, like, I'm enjoying watching this drama, but I don't feel like Kale's getting her just desserts, basically. But I do know that Kale, I think Kale and Janelle are probably two of the most, like, easy to hate people on this entire franchise. And I understand why so many people hate Kale. And I think Kale um, is really easy for a lot of people to hate because she is a very much heightened version of the worst parts of a lot of us. <laughs> Like, I do think most people can't really relate to Janelle, and that's why they don't back that up. I related, when I really fucking hated Janelle, and I really, really hated her, it's when I, like, could really relate to her and a lot of the shit that she did, and, like, I hated what I saw of myself in her, and that's why I felt so much outward anger towards her. And I do think that that's the case for a lot of people that really hate Kale, and I just want to say, like, I get that. I totally get that. Because Kale is pretty relatable in a lot of ways, in ways that make us feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> like her controlling nature, the dysfunctional family, um, her pettiness, her anger, her coldness, I think is very easy. I think those are really bad qualities that a lot of us see in ourselves, myself included. And so when we see it play out in Kale, it's like a visceral response. And that's why she makes people so angry because I don't think Kale does that much stuff that's like warrants the amount of hate that she gets. Um, but I'm trying to figure out exactly how to describe this. Basically, I just think that she is somebody that like is a very heightened version of how a lot of us live. And so I think watching her just like causes this reaction where it's just like, I hate that because, you know, like, I hate in others, but I see in myself, whatever. I don't think that's always true. It's not like a universal truth that if you don't like someone, it's because you see yourself in them. Like I personally, I don't ascribe to that theory at all, but I definitely do think that Kale causes such a visceral reaction in the fandom because she's not, it's not like Kale's like Janelle where she's like beating her children or she's like Amber where it's like so unrelatable the way that she lives that it's like, I really dislike her, but it's not accessible to me. But Kale lives a type of life and has types of emotions that are very accessible to the viewers. And I think that's why she receives such just like anger geared towards her at all times. I mean, also she like makes ridiculous choices and it's very easy to judge her. I hope that makes sense. I feel like I'm making no sense. I definitely like this is the ninth time I'm saying this, like, drink way too much caffeine. This is, like, a really bad choice. But you know when you're, like, sick and you're tired, so you're, like, over-caffeinate? I almost feel like I took an Adderall. <laughs> like, you guys, I was, like, the worst person alive when I was on Adderall. And I was on Adderall for, like, 10 years. So, like, lucky to you all that I did not have a podcast when I was on Adderall. Because I would have been speeding out of my skull. It would have been really bad. Anyway, um... Okay, so Kale, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Joe is asking for child support. Basically, we find out that Joe has asked for child support. Now, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast. What happened was Joe of January of this year got, well, last year, I guess, January 2018 got 50-50 custody. Apparently, Kale told Joe that she would then drop the child support that he had been paying. Kale claims she never got around to it, which point for Joe. That's annoying as fuck, Kale. Get around to it. So Joe had to continue paying because you can't, you know, it was court order child support or court monitor child support. So you don't just get, 
you can't just be like, okay, you don't have to pay anymore. <laughs> and so Joe got annoyed that Kale was not filing for a modification. So he did it himself and is asking for child support in return. Apparently his attorney feels that he is owed about $1,000 a month. Um, Kale lets us know that Isaac has, excuse me, that Joe has only been paying $475 for Isaac. Guys, Joe makes almost the same amount of money as Kale does for this show. He's like, I'm not making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Like, yeah, the fuck you are. He gets $25,000 an episode. $25,000 for every episode that he appears on this show. And he wants to sit here and tell us that he can't afford to fix his AC. Don't, and he claims that he works two jobs outside of the show in real estate. <laughs> I'm sorry. Something ain't right. Something is not right. Especially considering they had a lavish wedding last year. And like, if you can't afford that lavish wedding, if you can't afford to get a new AC, why would you have a lavish wedding? I think Joe's a bum is basically what I'm saying. Um, and I think V knows Joe's a bum. That's, she seemed like it at least when he was talking about how he was owed money to help support a child. It's crazy. Kale says that uh, they figured out that Joe has only paid $30,000 for Isaac's entire life. His entire life. $30,000. That's nothing. $475 is crazy low. So I just want to give a little bit. I've seen a lot of confusion about this online. They decide on that $475 when Isaac was eight months old. They have not gone through any modifications for that entire nine years of Isaac's life. She has not asked for a cent more. At one point, if you guys will remember, they talked about taking Joe to court and Joe begged Kale, cried, begged her not to take him to court because he knew his amount would go up so much because he was making a significant significant amount of money being a reality TV star and Kale agreed not to take him back to court. She could have taken him back to court five years ago and been getting two or $3,000 a month. And she didn't because she didn't need to because it would have been petty for her to do so. And so people being like, Kale's getting a taste of her own medicine, like uh, that was court order, court decided what Joe was paying based on the calculation. No, Joe was not paying based on that calculation. Joe was paying based on what they were making in season one of this show. Joe has not had a single child support increase since season one of this television telephone show, television show. That's crazy. Just for comparison, I believe it came out that Leah for Addie gets like $2,500 a month. And I would bet Joe makes similar to what uh, Jeremy makes. I mean, guys, (laughs) $475 is nothing. Now, I completely understand why Joe was annoyed that Kale didn't file for the modification after they got 50-50, but I'm also not sure why he would wait for Kale to file. If I was Joe, like, the day I got my 50-50 order, I would have had my lawyer file for a modification. It doesn't make any sense. Joe was also asking for back pay. So this is happening in uh, September of 2018, and he's asking for nine months of back pay. It's really crazy. I... I personally understand why Kale is so upset, although I don't think she, of course, is handling it the way that she should. Although I thought it was very interesting that Joe said he was mad that Kale's response was to text him, fuck you, and not, do you need help with money? And it's like, why does Kale need to, like, care if Joe needs help with money? <laughs> it's very, it's very weird. Although I did like that Joe mentioned that Kale's making five to 
five to ten thousand dollars a month on Instagram, which is very believable and crazy. Um, Kale's like, I'm not a millionaire. If I was a millionaire, would I be living in this house and driving this car? Which is kind of funny because she drives like an $80,000 car. Like a fully loaded Suburban is an expensive car. And she's building a brand new house. They're breaking ground this spring. So I I don't know. I don't think Kale is a millionaire, but I think she's doing very well for herself. I also think it's complete bullshit that Joe is saying that they don't have uh, the same standard of living at both houses. They live in neighborhoods that are very close to one another. I believe in the same school district. They both have pools. Isaac does all the same sports when he is at both houses. Uh, Joe drives a Mercedes or BMW. Joe drives a lux- Joe and V both drive luxury cars. They take vacations. They go to Disney World. They go to the shore every summer. Um, they, like, having different lifestyles means, like, if Kale lived in a mansion and if Joe lived in an apartment, like, then I'd say, okay, this makes sense. You want the kids to have the same lifestyle. I understand. It's not that I'm saying, like, Child support in 50-50 cases should absolutely never be a case because I don't believe that's true. But I believe if the child has basically the same style of living, and by basically I mean what Joe and V have compared to what uh, Kale has, then there shouldn't be child support if there's 50-50 custody. Now, Joe has been paying that whole year that he had 50-50 custody, and I agree that Kale should give that money back. You know, the he paid for nine months, it was $500 a month. So she should pay that $4,000 back or whatever it was. I can't do math, but she should pay that money back. I think that's totally fair. But I just think it's crazy the idea that Kale should be giving Joe any money. What lifestyle does Isaac not have? The fact that Joe can't fix his AC, like that has nothing to do with the money he spends on Isaac, considering I'm pretty sure that Kale's the one that like pays for all of his sports. Most, I guarantee you she buys all his clothes, all his school supplies. Like, I find it very hard to believe that Joe pays that much money for Isaac beyond food when Isaac is at his home. I would think that paying for that $475 a month in food when Isaac is there is probably all of his expenses or when they take Isaac on vacation. I think Kale was definitely right when she was like, I'm really interested to see what he believes backs him up finance-wise. Like, I'm interested to see the documents when he can prove that he needs this money. And I agree. I'm interested to see the documents. Like, what lifestyle changes does he believe that Isaac does not have at his house is what I'm curious about. I thought V looked very uncomfortable when Joe was talking about it on camera. She even said, like, I don't want to take Kale's money. Um, She said, and even Joe was like, he lives a very different lifestyle with us. And V was like, well, like, we're, like, normal. Like, we're not like Kale, but we're normal. Like, even V, I could tell V did not like the situation. At least didn't like it on camera. I don't know what she's saying behind closed doors, but she seemed not on board with this idea, and it seemed like Joe was totally doing this out of spite because he's like, it's my time now. I should get the help now. I just, it, I just don't understand what $1,000 a month, like, I, I, I don't get it, guys. I don't get where Joe can justify when he has Isaac 50% of the time that he should be getting money from Kale. I I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why he would blow up the relationship that they had going on over this. Um, It just, Joe seems petty as fuck. And I just, I can't support that pettiness. And just because Kale doesn't, I don't think it means that Joe should do it too. You know, like, Joe shouldn't be matching petty for petty. And I I can't imagine 
getting on TV, being a TV star, making TV, reality TV star money and saying that, like, I need money for my ex, for my ex because I can't afford to fix my AC. It's like, get a fucking job then. (laughs) Get another job. How are you mismanaging your money this bad that you can't afford to fix your AC? That doesn't make any sense. He's like, Isaac had to sleep on the couch all summer because we didn't have AC. It's like, so go buy a window unit and put it in his room if you can't afford, you know, go to Walmart and get a $150 window unit. Like, what do you mean? It does, None of it makes any sense to me. And it's, I think it's because it's coming from pettiness and he knows that it's not justified. So he came up with this AC thing. Like, Joe was able to, okay, Joe wants to claim he doesn't have money, but Joe was able to, like, move to Delaware and buy a house and, like, not work a job <laughs> outside of MTV. <laughs> so, like, where, where's your no money coming from in this situation? He's only made significantly more money since then. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he was, like, 20, I mean, how long ago did he move to Delaware? Like, f- at least four years ago. And they bought that house right when they moved. And V had been working at a daycare center and he was working like, uh, like in fixing air conditioning. So I'm sure they weren't making enough money at that point in their lives, considering they're 22 years old to buy a home without MTV. So I just find it very, very hard to believe that he needs Kale's financial help. Now, I understand that the law is what the law is and that maybe by law he is owed it, but just because you're owed it by law, I don't think that that justifies in him asking for it. I think it's an ethical question over a legal question. You know, like, just because something might be owed to him via law doesn't mean that he should be ethically asking for it. I just, I don't know. I think it's gross. I think it makes him look like a bum. Like, imagine getting on TV and admitting that you've been paying less than $500 a month for your child when you make $25,000 an episode. That's crazy. I can't. I can't. And I mean, I just can't. I don't know. I'm rambling now and I don't want to keep rambling. And I think that these are the only things that happened in Kale's episode that are worth talking about. But like, I understood her anger here. But of course, like, she should never have texted Joe and like, fuck you. That was so wrong. She should have just kept her mouth shut and been like, I'm talking to my lawyer. Um, Oh, and I really liked it when Joe said, well, I've been paying since 2010. And it's like, yeah, because you have a fucking kid. Like, are we supposed to pat Joe on the back because he paid less than $500 a month for the son that he's responsible for? Joe, like, wants an award for doing the bare minimum when it came to financially supporting his son. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I said that I really liked knowing how much money she made on Instagram. And I did laugh at him, like, putting her business out there. And I think that Kale is right. I think that Kale's right. Although, of course, she's, like, going about it the wrong way because she's Kale and she's never gone against about, she's never gone about anything the right way in her entire life. So that's it. I am, like, crashing down, breaking down. I'm sorry for the complete insanity of me drinking too much caffeine and me being, like, a dying sick person at the same time. I love you guys. I will talk to you next week. Come to my Instagram. Um, Oh, by the way, I just wanted to say, like, I, okay, having this Instagram has really made me reevaluate how I talk about people online or, like, talk to people online about their content. Um, 
please don't come on my Instagram and criticize the show. <laughs> I'm just going to delete the comment. Uh, like, it's not, it doesn't make me feel good. And I think that it will cause fighting with other people because I don't want people coming to my defense. Definitely don't come on my Instagram and criticize guests. Like, I will absolutely delete that because someone took time out of their day to come onto my podcast and talk. Um, and definitely, please don't come onto my Instagram and fight with other people. I have been doing this thing where fights, like, break, come up in the comment thread. I just delete the parent comment and get rid of the whole, the whole fight. Um, my Instagram is a positive place. And I'm not saying that, like nobody's allowed to criticize how I, how they feel about the show. <laughs> like, if you don't like this podcast, like, you have every right now to like it. Text a friend that listens to it. Go bitch about me. I don't know. There's no other place, really, to bitch about me. But I just, on my Instagram, like, I just, I want it to be a positive place. I don't want it to be a place where people fight. And if you come and you leave negative comments about me, like, I know people re- will respond and fight you about it. And that's, like, I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't ever want that. And if you see someone that you don't agree with on my Instagram comments, like, just move on and don't respond to them. And this is, like, so hypocritical of me asking because I love to fight on the internet. But I'm going to keep, just so everybody knows and I'm, like, clear about it, I'm going to keep my comment sections pretty heavily moderated. Um, I just don't want there to be fighting in my Instagram comments. And I really love my EBP underscore feathers Instagram account. And 99% of comments are like great and positive And, you know, there will be varying opinions, but people aren't fighting. So don't say anything offensive because I'll delete that. Don't say anything racist. I'll delete that. But like, for the most part, everything's been pretty cool. But just remember that this isn't like a free-for-all space to openly criticize me, criticize guests, or fight with other people because it's just not fun. I don't like that. And I'm a sensitive little bird, so I'd prefer you not do that. Okay? I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. I'll talk to you next week. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychode.